Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. All eyes are on the executive branch this week following a decision staying enforcement of President Trump's immigration restrictions. We dive into the Ninth Circuit's opinion and talk about other issues testing President Trump this week. This is Sarah, and I'm a liberal. And Beth, I'm a conservative. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Today, we're going to do a deep dive on the Ninth Circuit's opinion on Trump's executive orders. But first in the pearls, we'll be discussing ethical issues causing problems in the White House. And in the hills, we're going to talk about what's on our mind beside politics this week and our big book announcement. So stay tuned for that because we need your feedback. (laughs) Well, I guess we can start in terms of ethical issues. Like there's a a cornucopia of Mm -hmm. ethical issues to talk about always with the Trump administration. But the, the big news of the week was that 
Uh, Trump tweeted about Ivanka's line being discontinued by Nordstrom, and then Kellyanne Conway went on the news and said, quote, go buy Ivanka's stuff is what I would tell you. It's a wonderful line. I own some of it. I fully, I'm just going to, I'm going to give a free commercial here. Go buy it today. Everybody, you can find it online. A free commercial. Do we think she realized what she was doing? Do we think she did it on purpose? A free commercial. I mean, this woman spends a lot of time on TV. It's hard to imagine that she didn't know what she was doing, and it's equally hard to imagine that she did and chose to do it anyway. So I can't decide if this was deliberate or just kind of a off-the-cuff, oops moment. And I have this thing with the Trump administration where I'm constantly feel like I'm being pushed and pulled between policies I find abhorrent. Well, that I find on a scale from merely problematic to abhorrent. And then there's all this stuff related to Trump and his family and his staff, like policy versus personality, except for personality makes it seem less important than it is. Like all these conflict of interest, all the ethical concerns, the, the clear and sort of transparent effort to make money off the power of the presidency and the position that these people are in. And I'm like, I just feel like I'm constantly being pulled in two directions. And I think there's this undercurrent of, well, is all this stuff just a distraction to, you know, we're talking about Nordstrom's and really we need to be paying attention to policy. But then I feel like, you know, I've said on the show before that the conflict of interest stuff, you know, I hope that the least this man does is just make money off the presidency. But that's sort of depressing, too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just I can't decide how important to me this stuff is like it's so gross the stuff i found particularly i find the conflict of interest in the trying to make although this is trying to make money off your position as well but like the melania suit where she basically said you hurt my image and i was going to make all this money off being first lady and the mar-a-lago membership and the eric trump trip just all the the nasty mix of money is so bothersome, but like in the face of actual discrimination against Muslims, like I only have so many hours in the day. Well, it's interesting too, because I think there are people who would say these kinds of personal stakes are always present. It's just obvious with the Trumps and we find that refreshing, right? There, I mean, there are people who I think believe that every person in the presidency, and I think this is true to an extent, every person in that office is still a person and is still a person who is going to need to make money after leaving office and has gotten used to a certain lifestyle. And with the Trumps, it's just all hanging out there in a way that it's not. And and I think that some of what's going on with the Nordstrom story particularly is an illustration of just how divided we are. Part of the reason that experts think Nordstrom wouldn't have a claim if they tried to take action based on these comments is because this has helped Nordstrom sales. And that's because Nordstrom knows that its customer is probably not a Trump voter, right? Mm -hmm. And so what you see here is just more reinforcement. It's just entrenchment for everyone, right? Like that's – these ethical issues aren't even being talked about as ethical issues, it's big bad media or the crazy Democrats on one hand or 
the vicious, terrible Trumps on the other. I mean, it's just, we're not having a real conversation anymore. And I don't know how to get back to having a real conversation. Well, I also think that's my be- thing. Like, is this, I think this is a real thing that should be caught. Like we need to be talking about, but I struggle with, I guess the prioritizing of this mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't know how, how much I buy the Trump voters are North. There's a lot of rich white people that voted for Donald Trump. So I'm not really sure how I have a lot of people in my life who shop at Nordstrom who I definitely know voted for Donald Trump. So, you know, I, I I struggle with that. It definitely helped them. I mean, their stock prices went up and I think that supporting her father has absolutely hurt Ivanka. And I think that this sort of, if you scratch the surface a little bit, is so reflective of something that happens with this family a lot. Um, and I think you could include Jared Kushner in this. And I read an interesting article about Stephen Miller that it's this outsider that really wants to be respected by the elite. Um, Ivanka stuff was carried at TJ Maxx, but it is an upper income brand. It is a high priced brand. And Donald Trump, want, you know, it even speaks to that stuff Howard Stern was saying about like he wants to be respected by these people. He wants to be the upper echelon. And it is in particular these people um, sort of the upper income elites who cannot stomach him anymore. In particular, I think that's interesting is that corporate America has become such an sort of critic, if not right, downright enemy in certain instances with the immigration ban, with any of his policies. And so I think it's set up this, this very interesting conflict. And I don't understand how they're basically – their best comeback is, well, pe- uh, presidents can't have conflict of interest. Well, that's not – just because there's not a law to be broken doesn't mean that there were ethical norms established. And your complete disregard for them is not exactly a defense. So I worry about the permanent damage. I mean, th- there's a part of me that always worries with Donald Trump that it'll become, well, Donald Trump did it so everybody can do it. And then there's a part of me that acknowledges Donald Trump got away with it. Almost nobody else would. So I I don't know. I just, I really struggle with the conflict of interest stuff. It really bothers me. It grosses me out. While I do believe that there are, when you become president, obviously it, it changes your status economically and otherwise. And I acknowledge that. I don't find it refreshing their naked interest in pushing that to the max and making as much money as they can. I even, I don't have no idea if it was true or not, but I even read something like Jared Kushner's main role in the White House is how to make sure this benefits the Trump corporation as much as possible. Like that's sort of his like understood idea. And I don't know, it's just all, it's so gross. He has an interesting circle of people around him. Jared Kushner is one of them. I've been kind of digging into Stephen Miller this week because I think Stephen Miller is far more powerful than maybe I realized, especially since he was possibly the principal architect of the executive order that we're going to talk more about in the suit. And Stephen Miller, unlike Donald Trump, does not seem to have that, I need everyone to realize how special I am. Mm -hmm. I think he's more like Ted Cruz. Like he is a pure ideologue who does not care what other people think of him. He only cares about pushing his agenda. If you saw him on the Sunday shows this week, he is articulate. He is disciplined. He is wholly unlikable, but he's on message and super focused. And so having someone like him around and and Steve Bannon, like you kind of start to get a flavor of, you know, Trump maybe understands that he 
can be um, swayed a little bit because of his obsession with public opinion. And so then he's got these harsher personalities set up to keep him on track policy wise based on his campaign promises. It's a it's a fascinating thing to watch. Well, I don't know. I've read a couple of things about Steve Miller, including the part of that article that you posted and people like that. And I don't know if this is just my pop psychology, which, you know, I know that we're not supposed to. Well, I can do whatever I want because I'm not a professional psychology person. I'm not a psychologist. So. But it doesn't, you know, people like that, they're so on message and so it's, I guess, so much of his ideology seems to be driven by being contrarian, like all that stuff about him growing up in Santa Monica and like going to high school, um, um, like gatherings or speech debates and arguing that the janitor, they should just be able to pick up the trap, throw their trash on the floor. Cause that's what the janitors are for. Like that's not you being an ideologue. That's just you being a dick. And like how much of that is driving all of his stuff now is this, does he believe this stuff or is it driven by a deeper need to be contrarian and to push people and to, it's almost like, you know, the fuel for your fire is other people's dislike for you. I think that's right. I mean, we've talked about resentment as a, as a fuel for a lot of people who grabbed on to some of this movement. And, and I'm not saying that's true for everyone, but I think that's a pretty fair assessment of Stephen Miller. Well, and then we also have Michael Flynn this week getting in some trouble. I would argue it is, it's passed straight into trouble. When you're backing off your statements that everybody smells blood and that seems to be what's happening. So he, there are allegations that he discussed lifting sanctions with Russian officials before the inauguration, which um, just public service announcement as private citizens, we are not allowed to go around negotiating with foreign governments on behalf of the United States. That's treasonous. And so if that is what he did, which at first he said, no, I didn't talk to them. And now he's backed up a little bit to the post and said, oh, wait, no, I don't remember what I did. He sent Mike Pence to the morning shows to say he definitely didn't. And now Mike Pence is in a tough position. So, I mean, I think this is a will inc- will continue to be a big story and should be interesting to see how it progresses. I mean, this guy seems sort of like a stepchild everywhere else. So I'm not really sure why Trump decided to adopt him and put him in such a position of power. It's interesting about this story to see whether it's the thing he did that gets him in trouble or the way he handled it that gets him in trouble. Mm. Because the the Logan Act, which would be the part that's the, you know, the law that says you can't go around negotiating with other countries, is super difficult to enforce from what I've read. It's, it's hard to know where someone has crossed that line or not. But telling the vice president something that's not true and having the vice president publicly back you up on it and then it turns out that it was true that's that's a problem so we also have a few more confirmations tom price was confirmed and i don't know if was was dear old betsy confirmed the last time we spoke i can't remember she had been. It was Jeff Sessions that we were waiting on confirmation last oh, time. Right. And he has so been now confirmed. we have Jeff Sessions, who's already been sent up in Saturday Night Live by. Um, oh dang, I've totally blanked on her name, and I Kate McKinnon. Her. Thank you, yeah. Kate McKinnon. Um, a couple other quick news items that I th- I think I don't know if I'd call them related, but the uh, Trump has now officially adopted the One China policy. Um, I think that his strong talk 
on China is already being speaking of Michael Flynn and people backing off their statements. It seems to be what that that's what he's doing with China, which a lot of presidents are forced to do once they actually get in the White House. And then North Korea's been 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 up to some things, Beth. Right. North Korea fired test missiles in the direction of Japan while uh, the Japanese prime minister has been at Mar-a-Lago with President Trump. I want to pause for a second to say that I don't love the whole Mar-a-Lago as the Winter White House idea. Mm -mm. Yeah, especially since they doubled the membership fee. I do think that President Trump legitimately trying to build good personal relationships with other world leaders is a good thing. And I think with Japan, that's a good thing. So I want to give credit where it's due. I I think that that's something that President Obama was not great about doing and that spending the time in those relationships is a good thing. So, you know, in trying to be fair about my assessments of the president, I I want to give him a, a little credit there. But it's very clear that this was a test of the United States the timing. Um, and, and just we sort of knew North Korea would do this at some point. This is textbook North Korea. I'm adding them to my very long list of primer topics because <laughs> there's so much to unpack there in terms of the history, the relationship with South Korea, the relationship with Japan. I think the the most encouraging thing so far is that President Trump has not tweeted about this Ugh. yet. He has just made a statement that we stand with our ally Japan did that become the standard but you know again I'm gonna take progress as I can I was thinking this week about how like protracted outrage makes me feel like a hamster on a wheel (laughs) Uh, I prefer protracted outrage but hey that's just a personality difference that's right and everybody should deal with that as they can but I just can't do it so Um, And General Mattis has made some statements about this and has said that, you know, if North Korea provokes us, they will get a swift and um, I can't remember his exact words, but it was kind of like it will be a clear message in response. I don't want to get into a geopolitical conflict with North Korea any more than we already are. I do think that this is a situation that has just been sitting there being a problem for a very long time, and everybody knows that there's going to be a tipping point at some point. So why you're trying to uh, so hard to compliment Trump, would you like to go ahead and compliment the other side? Oh, yeah. it's. I mean, it's almost like trying to compliment Trump is my compliment the other side at this point. <laughs> but I do want to sincerely compliment uh, a group of Democratic senators in our home state of Kentucky, Gerald Neal, Perry Clark, Denise Harper Angel, and Reginald Thomas. They are part of a bipartisan effort to abolish the death penalty in Kentucky, which is something that I believe in very strongly. And our General Assembly is very much at work in this session. And I think a lot of good things have happened. I think some not so good things have happened. But if this group could work with Republicans in the Senate to abolish the death penalty, that would be such an outstanding thing for our state. And I hope it happens. Real talk, though, when Matt Bevin signed something about the that, death penalty? I have heard that Matt Bevin is very open to this, in part because of his faith and his belief in the sanctity of life. And I think that that is a, a very 
real way to think about the death penalty. You know, if you believe in the sanctity of life, you have to question, I think, whether the state should deprive anyone of life and certainly whether the state should take the risk of depriving an innocent person of life. So I I think this could happen. I would definitely support it. I've made my stance on the death penalty on the show before. I'm opposed. (laughs) So if you live in Kentucky and want to support this with your legislators, uh, Senate Bill 131. So on this Kentucky theme, I was with at dinner with my friend Reagan, who is a devoted listener of the show. Hi, Reagan. And she said, I think you should try to compliment Donald Trump. But see, Beth already did that to me, so I got out of that. Ha ha, because I don't think I'm capable of that anyway. But then she said, okay, well, say something nice about Mitch McConnell. And I said, that's easy. I can do that. No problem. So last week during the Elizabeth Warren, Mitch McConnell showdown. Actually, the very same day, there was a group of um, people, including our mayor and our chamber president and economic develop, some county officials went to D.C. and they met with Mitch McConnell and for 30 minutes. And my um, compliment in the reality is that Mitch McConnell has been a uh, devoted friend of Paducah. He advocated for us when it came to our gaseous diffusion plant which lasted way longer than others. And we've seen a lot of federal government support in shutting it down and cleaning it up. He earmarked, when earmarks were still a thing, millions of dollars for our riverfront development project. And he has been very supportive of our community, continues to be very supportive of our community. And so I would just like to say thank you to Senator Mitch McConnell for that. Are you still alive? Was that shocking? I think it's awesome. I was thinking about Paducah this week because I was in Frankfurt in our state capital and saw the statue of the legislator from Paducah, I can't remember his name, who fought so hard to keep the Cincinnati airport in northern Kentucky. Oh. If you aren't aware of that, Cincinnati's International Airport is actually in northern Kentucky, and it's a very big deal right now that it is because Amazon has just decided to invest $1.5 billion into that airport to develop a distribution, like a direct distribution hub there. They're going to bring in 40 jets and over 2,700 jobs. It's a huge deal for this area, and we have a legislator from Paducah to thank for that um, from way back when. I thought you were just going to say I was thinking about Paducah and how awesome it is. But and how I'll, I I'll take that there. <laughs> it's, it's the best. You should. Everyone should. I mean, maybe not everyone because sort of what we got going here is a small town thing, but like a healthy group of you could definitely come. Well, so in the suit, we are going to uh, get really geeked out on the Ninth Circuit's decision on President Trump's executive order. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. 
and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash pantsuit. felt very weird to me preparing for this and not billing someone for my time I gotta be honest Sarah I just like dusted off my law degree took it out of the laundry room where it's currently propped up set myself in front of it no really but I should do that from time to time because it is sort of depressing that my law degree is in my laundry room but I did a little outline felt like I might be graded on it but I enjoyed it I enjoyed it too and so We are going to go through this in some painstaking detail because I know that a lot of you don't have law degrees in your laundry room or your basement (laughs) where mine is and um, and want to really understand what's going on. And it's kind of tricky the way that this decision made its way to the Ninth Circuit. So the state of Washington went into federal district court and asked for what's called a temporary restraining order. So they wanted short term and long term relief. In the long term, they want a court to say this law is illegal, this this executive order is illegal, it's unconstitutional, and the executive branch can never enforce it. In the short term, they wanted to say, and they can't enforce it right now at all, even, even before we have a hearing that determines all those things, because we're going to be hurt if it is enforced. 
And we're so confident that we're going to be right in the long term that you should grant us relief in the short term. So a temporary restraining order is a big deal. That's an extraordinary thing for a court to to stop something in its tracks before a full hearing. But the federal district judge granted that temporary restraining order. So then the president goes to the Ninth Circuit to say, wait, you have to stop the short-term relief that the federal district court granted. And now the burden is more on the president to show that he's going to be right in the long term and he's going to be hurt and the country's going to be hurt in the short term if this temporary restraining order stops his order. So it's like, stop the district court's order, stopping my order until a full hearing can happen. (laughs) And let's just say, maybe not so good of a job of proving that point. Well, no. So the Ninth Circuit ultimately decided, as you've seen in the news, nope, we're going to go with that restraining order. But all that means is that the temporary order is in effect, which means temporarily the administration cannot enforce the executive order. Well, and the other issue, though, on top of that is there's a clock running on this order anyway. Right. And so at some point, a full hearing would have to happen if you're going to talk about the entire order. But it's all a bunch of procedural hoops right now. And what the president has to decide is whether he wants to deal with the short-term issue in the Supreme Court, ask for the full Ninth Circuit instead of just the three-judge panel to consider this, or just write a new order and try again, which seems like the likely outcome right yeah, now. Yeah, it looks like where they're, where they're landing. So the first... That's the procedural history of the decision and sort of where it is from a, a high up view, sort of on the monopoly board. Where is it? Where is it heading? But there are also smaller issues within the decision, the first of which is whether or not they have standing. So in the law, you can only bring a lawsuit if you have a particular specific non-theoretical injury. So the the way I always used to explain standing to my business law students was to use um, Roe v. Wade, really to use in the exception to prove the rule, because obviously court cases usually take longer than nine months. So by the time somebody wanted an abortion before abortion was legal, they'd already had the baby. So they, Roe v. Wade, I think she, she had had the baby, right, by the time they got to the Supreme Court? I think, I think that's, that's right. right. Yeah. It's because and they, they waive standing. So she didn't have a particular issue because the baby was already born, but because we needed an exception to ever address that, the the legal right to an abortion, they expect they waived it because you have to have something personal to you that this law is affecting or else the courts would drown and just people saying, you know what, I don't like this law. It didn't really affect me, but I'd like to sue on the basis of it. Well, and you have to, you not only have to have that personal, particular, specific injury, but the court has to be able to do something to address it. So it's, it's pretty complicated and there are lots of cases on standing. And if you don't know how this case ultimately got to the Ninth Circuit, it's that the state of Washington said that its universities and their students and faculty members are harmed by the executive order. So because students and faculty members are harmed, the university can assert those claims on behalf of the students and faculty members, and the state of Washington can assert the university's claims. So that is like, that's kind of a reach in terms of standing. And this this case, I think, will be cited in a number of cases in the long haul just for standing concerns. Well, um, and they, and they, then, 
they uh, they mentioned another cause for standing. I can't remember right now. But then the court was like, ah, we found it on this public university thing, so we're not going to address your other assertions of standing. That's right. And then the state of Minnesota hopped into this as well. So you have two states uh, having standing to challenge this order based on the fact that their public universities and the university students and faculty members were affected by the order. So the court found that this was good enough for standing, obviously, because they proceeded with the suit. And then the next question was judicial review. Basically, the president said that his order was unreviewable, that as the president, um, because there was a threat to our national security, that he had the ultimate authority and that the courts had no um, jurisdiction. Well, not really jurisdiction. That's a totally different legal question. Sorry. But the, you know, no authority over this decision. And as can be expected, the courts did not like that and or agree. This is a big deal that they said that, I mean, that's the kind of thing that you have come to expect in their very short tenure to hear from like Sean Spicer in the briefing room. But for the president to go into the court and say, you have no authority to review my order, that's a big deal. And so the court said that the Supreme Court has repeatedly and explicitly rejected the notion that the political branches have unreviewable authority over immigration or are not subject to the Constitution when policymaking in that context. Well, I thought the first question they went to, I thought the first argument was funny, too, because the apparently the government cited this Mandel case. It says, this government cites Mandel for the proposition that when the executive exercises immigration authority on the basis of a facially legitimate and bona fide reason, the courts will not look behind the exercise of that decision. The government omits portions of this quoted language to imply that all that this standard governs judicial review of all executive exercises of immigration authority. In fact, Mandel's standard applies to lawsuits challenging an executive branch's official decision to issue or deny an individual visa. So they found this, I mean... Not to be a jerk, but, like, this is sort of law school one-on-one. Like, they found a case that was, like, applying to an individual visa decision and then decided to quote a partial part of the language to say it applies to all immigration decisions. Like, did they not think the court was going to look it up and read the whole quote? I don't know, y'all. The Trump administration, though, fervently believes what it said in this case, because this morning on the Sunday shows, Stephen Miller was out there saying that the executive, the judicial branch has completely overreached here. They're trying to deprive the executive of Article Two powers. I mean, they are true believers that the president has complete unfettered purview over immigration and what they view as a crisis situation. And the Ninth Circuit very decisively said that is false. I think what's so hard with that argument they make that we're all at such threat is that, like, you're the new guys. If it was so threatening don't you think the guy before you would have been concerned as well and would have been just warning people left and right? I think that for the most part, Americans believe that national security, if not above partisanship, but that the military and the intelligence community before they became a partisan volleyball, you know, I guess this is my my perception was always like, even after the Iraq war, that there's sort of concrete things that we all understand as threats and that, Maybe it's my leftover um, memories of the the color system. The the, the remember the Bush they had the codes and the, right. the, the yeah that and 
it was sort of an objective thing, right? That we, that the military and people not, not the president solely and completely was the one deciding what the reality of our national security was. And so it's just, you know, I think to, to follow up a president who was so popular and, well, not popular, if just had a high approval rating at the end and who, you know, sort of was no drama. And even if you didn't agree with his foreign policy, like it's a big lot, it's a big jump to go from Obama saying we've got things under control and the world is a dangerous place, but we are, you know, we're not in any direct danger. We have concerns too. We're all going to die if you don't let me do what I want. I mean, it's just a big jump, man. It's just not, I'm not buying it. I don't think the rest of America is either. Well, there's just such a paradox in in the whole situation surrounding our security. And I think President Obama tried to say to people exactly what you just said. It's both, both things are true. The world mm-hmm. is a dangerous place and we are reasonably safe in it. That's hard. That's really, really hard. And it's much easier to leap to the world is a dangerous place. Close up shop, like board yep. the windows, don't let anybody in. And that's there's a balance to be had somewhere in between. And again, I think that if there if there are improvements to make in our immigration system, let's make them. But that's the job of Congress. That's where I keep coming out. And here's what else is really frustrating to me when I have these conversations with people. This is how I feel like the conversation goes a lot. Well, I mean, we have to have rules. We have to have vetting. And I'm like, right. And we do. So I don't understand what you think the argument I'm making is. It's like if you come out in support of undocumented workers and you don't think the current route like raids are fair or just or American, then suddenly that means that you're advocating for no immigration laws. Like, again, not to not to do a a callback to the original pantsuit politics blog post that sparked the whole thing. But like, let's find some nuance here. It is not an argument between no immigration law and Trump's immigration approach. There is a universe in between. And it's not a it's not a decision between the world is not dangerous at all and close up shop. Like that's just come on. Like there has to be an acknowledgement that there is some objective realities with regards to the national security of our country and threats in uh, in around the world. And then we can have a discussion about approaches. But this idea of like, it's dangerous and you're an idiot if you don't see it. And the courts, it's the court's fault when we have an attack. I mean, not only is it problematic now, but it leads me in real fear of what should happen if we do actually have an attack and what they're going to try to get away with. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. 
Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. So the next aspect of the president's burden to the Ninth Circuit was showing that he is likely to prevail on the merits. So when you have a full hearing, you're going to side with me. That's what the president had to show to get the Ninth Circuit to overturn the district court's order. And the first aspect of this is whether this executive order deprives people of due process rights. So I was just going to, I'm going to interrupt you real quick. So this is in law school, we like outlines a lot, like the ABC subsection one, two, three. And so that's what they're doing here just to like make it crystal clear. Uh, the success on the merits is like, you know, I guess probably four or five separate questions that they're trying to answer to decide if he would be successful in proving that this order would succeed should it go forward. So these are these questions we're sort of working through. It's like we're in subsection C1, I guess I would say. I think that's a a good way to put it. So the due process aspect is interesting because the administration really didn't say, no, 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 you get due process under this executive order. They said, 
The people affected by this order overwhelmingly do not have due process rights, so we don't have to afford them due process. That is also a very big deal. Yeah, and not true, but go ahead. Well, so the court <laughs> the court said that's not true. Mm-mm. And then the president said, but by the way, the White House counsel issued a clarifying statement that lawful permanent residents of the United States are exempt from the more onerous parts of the executive order. This is where I think that if you are a person who is skeptical of the judiciary or the Ninth Circuit or kind of looking for ways to be defensive of the Trump administration, you find a little bit of attitude from the court showing up in this opinion because the court said they're not going to rely on what the White House counsel said. The White House counsel isn't the president and probably cannot issue an order superseding the executive order. But then this is the language where I, I think you get a sense of where the court, how the court's feeling about all of this. The court says, moreover, in light of the government's shifting interpretations of the executive order, we cannot say that the current interpretation by White House counsel, even if authoritative and binding, will persist past the immediate stage of these proceedings. That is judicial shade right there. (laughs) Well, because so the two parts of that, the first part is the Fifth Amendment is not no citizens. It's no person. No person should be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So, you know, I think there is an argument, a nuanced argument to decide which of our constitutional rights apply to immigrants within this country. But I don't think there's much of one to be made when it says no person instead of no citizen. So that's the, the big, I think, glaring problem with this. And I agree with the court. I think the idea that, like, you want to pass something unconstitutional and then say, yeah, but my staff fixed it afterwards. Like, that's not how the law works. Like, I'm sorry. I don't think the White House counsel is the president. And I don't think that just because you get to go afterwards and be like, oh, but we didn't mean them. Like, uh-uh. no, sorry. You need to be a little more careful next time because, you know, what the Trump administration seems to have problems with and what they most certainly had problems understanding from this is like what you do has consequences, big ones. And that's why you need to be extra special careful. Sorry, that's me casting shade. Well, the court also explained that even people who are unlawfully in the United States have due process rights. And this is where you hear Donald Trump walking around a lot saying it's common sense. It's just common sense that this this is what we should do. But the law isn't common sense. Often, I think a number of people, if you surveyed all the citizens of the United States, Lots of people would be confused about affording due process rights to Mm -hmm. non-citizens. That's just not common sense. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. And if you start to work through scenarios of why that's important, I think that we would come to a consensus view that it's a good thing that we afford due process to anyone in the United States. But that takes a lot of time and a lot of care. I think what's so interesting about this case is it's where that sort of brash populism bumps up against the rigorous standards of the judiciary. Well, and also I would argue the American ideal. Like I read a really beautiful piece from I think it was somebody from the military that was like, you know, we walk through other countries and we arrest insurgents and terrorists and then we afford them due process rights because we're not just defending our borders, which seems to be what Trump is only concerned with. We are defending the idea of America, the idea that 
you know, we are important not because we claim the stake in this land and we're the best, but because we decided when we formed this country that there are inalienable rights that God gives us and not just the presence inside a border gives us. And we defend that when we are outside that border and no matter who that bumps up against, because if we are founded on the idea that everyone is, you know, created and has a right to life, liberty, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, then that means all the time, even when it's hard, even when we don't like the person, and even when it's outside of our boundaries. And that is, to me, what this is about. It's not about, well, we're a tribe and we live in this land and we have to defend this land. That's not what America is about. On a much less lofty level, <laughs> the way that you protect those things that you were just describing is pretty tedious sometimes. Yeah. And does no one deviate said it's gonna be from, easy. It does deviate from what feels like common sense. I, I work with a lot of non lawyers who work in a law firm. And especially when somebody comes in who's brand new and has never worked in a law firm before and is not a lawyer, you can see in their faces how much everyone around them drives them crazy for a while. Because everyone is very particular about language and will kind of question you on things that you think this cannot possibly matter. You know what I meant. Why are you up in my face about my words? Because in the law, the words are everything. The, the placement of a comma can be everything. And that is annoying to people. It is. And I think it's going to annoy the Trump administration a lot. But there's a reason for that, and it has to be that way to protect this very delicate balancing of rights that we try to do in our country. Yeah, and with love, when you're the chief enforcer of the laws, that's why it's helpful to understand the precision of language, why it was pretty nice for eight years to have a constitutional law professor that understood the impact of that. And when Hillary Clinton says, you know, when the details are your kid, it matters, when it's your rights and when it's your life and when it's your issues that are being affected by that comma or by that what's the big deal between person and citizen then it does matter and there's a right. lot of people in this country and there's an entire universe of specificity that these laws have to apply to and that's why we treat them with care and we take them seriously and we use precision when we speak or write or issue executive orders so then the Trump administration said, listen, if you're going to go with this temporary restraining order that the district court entered, you should limit it. You should give as narrow relief as possible temporarily. And there is support for the idea that if you're going to do something as a court before a full hearing, you should do as little as possible. But the court refused to limit the scope of this order. You know, they found that pretty much everyone who is impacted by it should get due process rights and aren't getting them. They said they would not limit the geographic scope of the order because we should have a national immigration policy. I think that's significant and important and correct. You know, saying that we're just going to say, well, in the state of Washington or in the state of Minnesota or in the Ninth Circuit, this is the law. We, we do need a coherent national immigration policy. So that was important. And then here's a little more judicial shade for you. The court said it is not our role to try, in effect, to rewrite the executive order. And basically, the court said, I'm not going to tell you anything or do anything to try to make this work. It just doesn't work today in, to satisfy the standard that we would need to overturn the district court's decision. Well, now we wouldn't want them doing that. That's judicial activism. That's actually my favorite when the court does that, when my court is like, you done messed up, A.A. Ron. Not our problem. <laughs> And I don't mean in this case, I mean just generally in the law. 
So the states of Washington and Minnesota also um, ask for the temporary restraining order and then the permanent relief on the basis that the executive order constitutes religious discrimination. And the Ninth Circuit basically said, we're not going to go there yet. That's a very serious allegation. It presents really significant constitutional questions. We're moving super fast here for a lot of reasons. And that should be fully briefed. We should have a full hearing. We shouldn't do anything temporarily based on religious discrimination. And they really didn't have to get there because of what they said about due process. I will say that I think it's interesting that they spoke to his statements in the campaign, which to me uh, makes it much easier to late for later cases or later lawsuits, or even I guess this one, to use his statements as evidence that this was discriminatory in intent. Someone asked us on Twitter why some conservative commentators, including Joe Scarborough, were so critical of this decision. I think that piece is a part of it, where you have the court saying, we don't need to decide this question, but if we did, we would certainly consider his campaign statements. That is the court going a little beyond what's necessary to reach a decision here. And so I think some of these statements where you detect a little bit of attitude in the direction of the Trump administration, where you detect a little bit of uh, going beyond sort of the temporary nature of what's happening. That's why you see some criticism of this opinion. So then the next thing they, they I guess we're on what, C4 maybe, um, was that the issue of irreparable harm and that despite the district court's um, sort of repeated invitations to explain why they had this urgent need for the executive order that the government really never showed why it was essential that they lift that um, temporary restraining order immediately. And so because they couldn't prove that there was irreparable harm besides saying we think there's all these. Oh, and I thought it was really interesting where they said, well, you you argued that it takes classified documents to prove that we're going to suffer irreparable harm. But courts look at classified documents all the time. So you could have submitted those. Yeah, I thought that was an important piece of this opinion, kind of talking about we're co-equal branches of government. So the, the Trump administration is often in many contexts keeping things a secret, right? Like they tell us, we have a plan to defeat ISIS, but we're not going to tell you because we don't want ISIS to know. Or um, in this case, we know that there are threats to the United States, but we're not going to tell you because we don't want to broadcast to anything to our enemies. And the court is saying, look, as a co-equal branch of the government, you absolutely could share the classified information with us that you're viewing so that we can understand the need for this order. Well, and this sort of bugs, this approach of theirs bugs me anyway, because what that tells me is it's not really about success with regards to security. It's about you want credit and you want to use that to make an argument or to make a point or to push policy. And because you can go through or through and make these things happen and create successes for yourself without telling anybody or saying a word until it's over, it's much like Barack Obama did when we didn't know Osama bin Laden was going to turn up dead. It's not like he was like, you need to give me this power. I can't tell you why. You'll find out in a little while when I show up with Osama bin Laden. He just did it killed him and then said, look, I killed Osama bin Laden, everybody. So I think that that's what bugs me is that it's not really about success in these actions. It's about you want to use fear of what you perceive as a threat to either gain power or make an argument or push a policy. So the conclusion of the decision I thought was worth reading 
because it really does summarize what's going on here. I guess the thing that I want to say before I read this quote is that this was not an easy decision. This is not an easy question, in my opinion, of whether this order is constitutional or not, because the president does have pretty broad authority in this area, especially on a temporary basis when you're not getting to the religious discrimination question. I think this is really hard, and I, I liked how the court ended this. On the one hand, the public has a powerful interest in national security and in the ability of an elected president to enact policies. And on the other hand, the public also has an interest in the free flow of travel, in avoiding separation of families, and in freedom from discrimination. We need not characterize the public interest more definitely than this when considered alongside the hardships discussed above these competing public interests do not justify a stay. So I think whether you like the outcome here or not, this order and how carefully the court went through the different prongs that we've talked about, you know, standing judicial view, likely judicial review and likelihood of success on the merits shows you like this is what our system is supposed to do. The system is working as it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it also puts things into some historical context because it's not the first time that the executive and the judicial branch have been in conflict and it won't be the last time. And in what otherwise feels like an abnormal climate, this is pretty reassuring to me, right? Yeah. That that our three co-equal branches are remaining in the tension that they're supposed to keep. Yeah. I mean, well, I wouldn't say I'm not giving Congress any credit for right now for being in tension with the executive branch, but I'll give the judicial branch its due. Well, and look, if it, the one thing that's crystal clear from reading this opinion is shame on Congress. We are mm-hmm. here because Congress has refused to do anything meaningful on immigration, yeah. and they need to do that. But I don't think that Donald Trump's motivation is that he just feels this desperate need for immigration reform and he's going to act without Congress. Like, that is not the my perception of what he's doing here. But I still agree that. But then again, it's sort of that. It's how I, you know, I talk to people and they're like, you know, just because you're opposed to this immigration ban, you think we need open borders. And that's not necessarily, there's like lots of nuance in there. And just because Congress isn't stepping in to, to fill that nuance with policy doesn't mean that um, what Donald Trump is doing is okay. So are we ready to move on from politics for a little bit? I mm-hmm. hope everybody hung with us through that sort of law school moment. <laughs> it's way more interesting than an actual law school lecture. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash pantsuitpolitics. I recommend starting with Hillbilly Elegy, read by J.D. Vance. I absolutely loved it, and it comes up often in our nuanced discussions. www.audibletrial.com forward slash pantsuitpolitics. Well, so Sarah, in the heels, we talked about kind of changing our approach here and just talking about what's on our mind right now outside of politics every week. So what do you have going on? Well, it's my baby boy second birthday 
on Friday. He'll be two. That's what Aww, second birthday means. Happy birthday. Baby Felix is going to be two. And we're going to have a little, it's, it's a book party, but the theme is chapter two. How cute is that? Stole it off Pinterest. And so I'm excited about that. And I also have been reading a lot. I actually had somebody message me and say, how do you get so much read? I've already read five books this year. I just finished This Is How It Always Is by uh, Lori Frankel. And I highly recommend it. It was really good. I read it in like two days. It was so good. And But I read this blog post. So I'll try to find it and post it in the show notes about how um, you could read 200 books in a year. And it seems so insurmountable. But the guy sort of broke down the math. And he was like, you need this many hours. And we all spend about twice as many of those hours, that many hours on social media. So just go back your media and read a book. And so that's what I'm trying to do. So that's what I've been making a lot of time for. And when I'm not Planning Felix's birthday party is just reading. And our book club is reading Strangers in Their Own Land with, but, um, by Arlie Hothschild, I think is her name. And that there's already like 120 people in the Goodreads book club, which again, we'll put these shows in the show notes. And, but they've, um, I'm still waiting for the, I'm like number one in line for the hold. I don't know how long I have to wait for this person to check the book back in on the, our little, um, library's like e-reader checkout system so they're not really allowed to talk about anything interesting until i get the book um but they're just totally ignoring my rule and having all kinds of interesting conversations about this book so if you're interested in the pantsuit politics book club you can go on goodreads and we'll put a uh, link in the show notes as well so my life is way out of balance right now and that's (laughs) kind of what i'm thinking about how do i make some space in what feels like You know, every day feels like beat the clock to me right now. And I find myself at work saying constantly, gosh, I just need three more hours today. And then I get home and think, gosh, I just need three more hours here. And so I'm just trying to spend some time on priorities and reassuring myself that like I am not actually spinning the earth on its axis and everything (laughs) is fine without me. And what doesn't get done is not that big of a deal. But that's really where I am. And I mention it on the show particularly because I used to be so much better than I am right now at responding to email and messages um, and being more active on Twitter. And I will find a way to make space for that again. I just I'm just kind of struggling with that right now. You know, I think this this kind of thing ebbs and flows for everyone. And so it's not like a crisis moment. It's just something that I'm trying to sort of work my way through. Well, and we have a big project coming our way that's thrown everything even more out of balance as we posted on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter we have signed with a literary agent who also listens to the show hi Sharon and we are so excited to be um, working on a Pantsu Politics book and we really want to invite you guys along for the journey we're going to start working on the book proposal and you know we really want to hear what you guys want to see in the book what discussions on the show really resonated with you that you think should be included or sort of drawn from for inspiration we're thinking about doing a loose kind of rules of engagement how we talk to each other and talk with you guys about with nuance and compassion. And so if there are certain episodes or certain topics or certain issues that you'd like to address, you can email us or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter or Instagram and share those ideas. We'd love to hear them as we move forward with our book proposal. It would be really helpful to hear from you. I think the one thing that we're really committed to about the book right now is making it a book that looks forward. We're not trying to do one of what I am imagining will be like a million retrospectives on the past election. 
Um, so while things we've talked about in the past will be certainly part of what we do, we really want it to be something that is more uh, forward looking. So with that in mind, we look forward to talking to you guys again on Friday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you to our producer, Nicholas Holland, and to our chief creative officer, Dante Lima, for all the work they do to make Pantsu Politics possible. And to all of you for making this community so special. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Pantsu Politics, or Instagram at Pantsu Politics. Please leave us your feedback and send us your ideas for show topics and Pantsuit Primers on social media, or you can email us at sarah at or beth at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. <laughs>